Well, I want to refresh your memory if you may have forgotten. I am not the preaching minister. Um, this is my second week up here on the stage. My name's Tommy. I do youth ministry. And I don't do preaching ministry. However, for the last two weeks, this has been my place. And it's not that I don't like it. I have a good time um, up here and I enjoy it greatly. But um, I couldn't tell you all last week when I was preaching that I was going to be here this week because I would have ruined Dogney's surprise for Scott. So I'm up here knowing that I'm going to follow up next week, knowing all this stuff. Scott didn't know. And so I, I, Dogney told Scott on Monday night, and so at that point um, she dropped the surprise. She has saved up, and um, they, their family is at Disney World, um, and they are having a fun time this week. Scott totally surprised, and if you know Scott at all, you can laugh because, yeah, he reacted like that. It was kind of like, I'm really happy, but I'm really nervous. Does, do the elders know? What, who's preaching? What's going on? Um, he was super happy, but he was um, worried about that, and so it was fun to be able to say, yes, Scott, I've known for like, I don't know, like eight months, and, um, and so he was uh, really thrilled and glad to share in that surprise with him. But what it does is it places me back up here with you again. So um, here I am going to connect again with you following our series. We've been talking about are you growing and asking specific questions each week. And in the process of asking those questions, we're really trying to um, create this, this idea that um, in the, if, if we are growing that our faith is going to transition from a claim to a cause. And so in your outline there, just the simplest, the only thing I made you fill in, um, really, there's, there's nothing else to write unless you think that there's taking some notes. But in the outline, there's a growth groups lesson on one side and kind of a sermon outline on the other. And I wanted to just sum up what we're talking about today is that growth in godliness is going to transform our faith from a claim to a cause. And that's really the, the meta-narrative is the big word we've been using, this theme of this sermon series that we're talking about. We've also been looking at a scripture together out of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And I want um, to see if, let's read this out loud together, in fact, kind of following along with the version that's on the screen here. So I'll begin and then out loud, let's follow along. So then, just as you receive Jesus, Jesus as Lord... Continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You would think, and, and let me just go ahead and for the sound, um, the AV room, for their, in their defense, um, I forgot to tell them to put that up there, so I'm over here like texting them. Please put up Colossians 2 on the, on the screen. So they just did that. That's in their defense. Otherwise, it would have all been on one screen. Um, so there you have it. Um, but we've been using Colossians 2 there as um, a verse that we're going to, to look at and connect to this meta narrative idea that as we continue to grow in godliness, um, continuing in the things that we've been taught, continuing along that path, we're going to not just claim something about our lives or claim something about Jesus, but it's something that's going to really move within us and kind of motivate us to live out a specific way. And so last week what we discussed together was our call to love. And we said our call to love is much, much more than what we typically make it. We often will try and just love people a little bit or love them like ourselves. And we realize that 
Um, we are called to love as Jesus has loved us, which is putting others ahead of ourselves, loving them with a sacrificial kind of love. And what we said is that the challenge for us would be to tell someone that we would come across, the way in which I love you is how Christ loves you. So if you watch my life and if you watch the way that I love you, that's how Jesus loves you. And when you can tell other people that, then you've picked up what the gospel is all about. Because the gospel is about this idea of us demonstrating Jesus' love for us by the way in which we love one another. And that was the challenge last week. It's not easy. Um, Super hard. Um, This week, we're going to kind of springboard off of that idea. It's going to be... In fact, I would say last week is a foundation for what we're talking about this week. As we talk about God's presence, and as we talk about um, thinking and dwelling upon God's presence, uh, remembering what we talked about last week is going to be extraordinarily helpful to understand where we're going this week. So all of that for a wonderful intro, and I want to ask you a couple questions. When's the last time that you thought to yourself, God is here. God is here. Think about it because I'm serious. This is not like, oh, that's a nice question. I really want you to think. When's the last time you remember thinking God is here? In other words, when's the last time that you remember noticing that God's presence was where you were? Maybe it was in the woods. Maybe it was in church. Maybe it was at like the Grand Canyon. I don't know where it was. Maybe it was at the birth of a child. Where did you realize or think last that God's presence is here? Because here's the truth. The truth is that for most of you, the great majority of you, at some point in your life, you've experienced God's presence. And you've encountered the presence of God in such a way that it has caused you to kind of come back. And to be here at this moment. In fact, your participation in worship today is most likely because at some point or at multiple times throughout your life you've experienced God's presence. But in asking that question, the second part of the question I want to ask is how often? How much do you notice God's presence? If you were to say, um, fill in the blank amount of times per day. What would that be? Fill in the blank amount of times per week. Fill in the blank amount of times for your lifetime. How often are you aware of God's presence with you? Now what I'm not asking is I'm not asking if you've had some mystical experience. This would be fun if you're into that. Do a a Google search for God's presence or sharing about God's presence. You'll come across some really interesting stories. People want to share about how maybe they've died and then they went up into heaven and saw some light and then boom, they came back to life and they want to tell all about who God is. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I have no idea. Um, But what I'm not asking about is if you've had some mystical experience where you've been carted off in a dreamland um, to God. Whether or not that's the case, I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying that that can't happen. Who am I to say that God can't do that? Much of our scripture was written that way. Not asking about that necessarily. And I'm also, secondly, not asking about an emotional high. Think about this. If you've ever been on a conference or a VBS or a revival or a youth trip with us, we get these emotional highs where we just feel everything within us. We cry. Um, we just get kind of goosebumps. 
and we feel, oh, that's God's presence. I'm not asking about that. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm saying I want you to think about it in a different way, not connecting it to some mountaintop experience. But I want you to think about how often you have been aware of or noticed God's presence, because that is really what we're talking about today. And as we go on through our sermon, you'll understand a little bit more about why I am directing your thoughts in those directions. I want to look at the passage. It's printed in your outline there. If you didn't get an outline, they're on the ends of the rows. Just kind of look and give somebody the eye towards the end of the row, and they will pass one down to you. Um, They should be on a double-sided pink piece of paper. There's a scripture there. It's John 14, verse 15 through 20. And I want us to look at that one more time. And as we do, I'm going to have you um, write on your paper there. Um, If you want to write in your Bible, that's okay. Um, But I'm going to give you the freedom to write on this piece of paper. Let me read this for you. If you love me, and now here's the first thing you have to write. You need to draw a nice, cute heart around the word love. Guys, I know that's difficult, but you can do it. You used to write them in your love notes. A nice heart around the word love. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. I want you to underline that phrase, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Underline that as well. You are in me, and I am in you. So you've underlined two things. And you've drawn a heart around the word love. Let me explain to you why I've had you do those things. The first thing we must notice, and um, you you will definitely, if you have any talent at all writing a heart, you'll look at your page and be like, I see the heart. I want you to see the heart because you have to notice the word love in this passage. It creates the foundation. It creates the basis for the rest of this passage here. And so when we, when we highlight this word love, what I want you to understand is that God's presence goes hand in hand with loving God and with living a life consumed by the love of God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. The second thing that I had you do is underline two phrases. And those phrases are powerful phrases. So how do you read them? Look at the phrases we've underlined together. Think about what's spoken by those phrases. But you will see me. You are in me, and I am in you. I want to ask you if you've unknowingly added words to that. Here's what I mean. Have you added additional thoughts to these passages, to these words and statements that Jesus is saying? Have you added words such as, you will see me when you arrive at church. And then when you leave, I will still be at church. Have you added phrases like, you will, you will be and dwell within me, but when you sin, I'm kicking you out. Have you added stuff to this? Now, I'm kind of being silly, but I want you to think it seriously. Have you added stuff to what Jesus has said? 
Now, it happens unknowingly. We layer stuff on there, and we diminish the truth that's in these phrases. But what I want you to do is I want you to read those phrases as purely as they come. Because we need to understand this morning. And I want us to take a moment and let it sink in. That the king of all creation is not only with us. We're not only in the presence of God, but Jesus in spirit. The most holy one to ever set foot on the planet. The savior of the world, Jesus, is in us. In this place and in us. I want to give you just a couple moments to let that sink in. Maybe it has been a long time since you have thought about being in the presence of God. And I want to give you a couple minutes to do that. Now, I'm also going to throw a video on the screen that might help direct that. You can pay attention or you can close your eyes. It's not super important. This is just something to kind of um, spark thoughts and spark phrases within you. So there's going to be a video that's going to play. It's going to have some words. And really the words are just exactly what the narrator is reading. So you don't have to see the words. You can just listen. But I want you to, for a couple moments while this video plays, think about God's presence being here in this room right now and living inside of you. Let's do that as this video plays. You are my guide and my guard, my minder, my mentor. What more do I need? What's better at the center? You sit me down and put my music on, and my soul remembers who I am again. You are with me, you comfort me, and you hold my swaying heart so soft, so strong. You are with me. You comfort me. You stop them from tearing me apart. I fear no wrong. You show me where to go without telling me. You set a value on my life without selling me. You are with me. You comfort me. You call me to the streets. You show me such good things. Right things with no hidden strings. Just your name on and it's game on. Your great repute like a distant flute. It comforts me. For you are with me. You comfort me. I crawl through the alley of the shadow of cancer. I know you know the answer. And the battle won't rattle me. You are around and I found there's something about your empathy. Your symphony of sympathy that comforts me. For you are with me. You comfort me. And you hold my swaying heart so soft, so strong. You lay out a table, you sit me down. My rivals arrive from the greatest to the least. But my cups kept full and my head's held high as you boast about me, your least priest, and make them toast me right through the feast. Wow, does it comfort me. For you are with me. I know that you're good, your best, your love and passion will stalk me, steer me, stand alongside me, outlast every fad and fashion through all eternity. For I'm going to live with you, see heaven's great views from my own cosmic muse. No lease to renew, no terms to review, no one else to view, just me and you, me and you, me and you. with me and you comfort me.
might not hear another thing that I say, but if you understand that God is with you, that God's presence is here, that God's presence is among us, that's what I want you to take away today. That is it in its simplicity. We're going to talk more and I've got more to say, but I want you more than anything to understand that God's presence is with you. This passage yells it at us that we've read. God's presence is here. God's presence is is with us when we're in this place. God's presence is with us when we're out of town at the lake because it's Labor Day weekend. And God's presence is with us when we're down in Disney World with our family. God's presence is with us when we are like Jonah in the belly of a whale at the darkest places that we could ever go on the face of this planet, God's presence is with us and it will not leave us. And there is nothing that you could do to run or hide from God's presence. I want you to get and understand today that God's presence is with you. And you might not be aware of it, but God's presence is with you. And my, my presentation to you today is that when you Become aware of it. Your life will change. When you become more and more aware of God's presence with you, your life will change. We read a passage out of Genesis chapter 28. And really the verse that I want to throw out to highlight is verse 16. Because this would be a fear for us today. Do you remember the passage? Verse 16 in Genesis 28 says this. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I wonder how many of us would find ourselves kind of holding up that phrase. How often in your life would you find yourself holding up that sign? I had one of my students make a sign for me. How often would you find yourself saying, Surely God's presence was in this place, but I was unaware of it. If Think with me, seriously, I know this is silly, but seriously think with me. If if you carried around at all times, everywhere you went, a sign, and on that sign it had either the question mark, because you were unaware of God's presence, or it had a cross, and that's just a little representation, you know, it's a little sign, um, that you're aware of God's presence mindfully aware of God's presence. Everywhere you went, it either showed one side or the other. You were either aware or unaware. I want you to think, really, what would your sign look like? Right now, what is your sign? Is it this or is it this? When you leave and you're at lunch, would your sign look like this? Or would you walk into the restaurant like this? When you're at your job, and you're logging into your computer or your workstation or you're clocking in, are you thinking this or this? Are you aware or not? What sign are you declaring by what's going on? Because the truth is that when we become aware of God's presence, it changes our life. I want to tell you a story about a guy who took this concept very seriously. And I'm just going to kind of prop this up somewhere. I'll prop it up right here. That's a nice spot for it. Maybe I won't, but you get the point. But I want to tell you a story about a guy who took this very seriously. His name is Brother Lawrence. And he was a 17th century man who um, lived in France. 
His real name was Nicholas Herman. He took on the name Brother Lawrence because basically here's his deal. He was poor. And when you're poor and you don't really have, you know when your next meal is going to come, what do you do? Well, what he did is join the army. Because he knew when he joined the army they were going to provide food and a place to sleep. So he joined the army. Well, then after kind of his military time is up, he's thinking, what do I do? Um, where, where can I, I go? And he has this experience where he's sitting under a tree and he kind of encounters God in a real way. He says, I'm just going to try and spend my life with God. He goes and he joins up with the Priory, which is kind of like this community of religious people. Um, a lot of times there are, there's monks and sometimes um, lots of other people living in this community. But basically what he does is he doesn't become a monk. He just goes and lives with um, a, a whole bunch of religious people. He's a layman. He's not a teacher. He's not a clergyman. He's just an ordinary dude who comes and joins a priory to live. And what that means for him is, again, he guarantees um, to earn his keep, food and a place to sleep. And so Brother Lawrence, he takes on the name Brother Lawrence here. So he joins that as a layman. And basically, for the rest of his entire life, he works in the kitchen at this priory. 17th century France works in the kitchen. That's really the end of his story. The rest of his life. A a little bit, he worked on sandals, um, repairing sandals. um, But he worked in the kitchen. He wasn't a great religious leader. Not many people knew who he was. But 400 years later, nearly 400 years later after his life, we still remember Brother Lawrence and there are books written about Brother Lawrence. And I want to share with you why. As people encountered him, and they hung out around him, in the kitchen, in the priory, they noticed something's different about his life. He lives with this peace that we just don't have. He has this wisdom that kind of just doesn't come naturally. What is it about him? People started coming to him for advice, because they noticed the way in which he lived his life was different. They started to come and ask him for advice. Now, he's not a teacher. He's not um, a, a clergyman at all. But they would come to him and they would ask him for advice. It got the attention of some people far away. His reputation began to spread and a cardinal um, from, from a different city sends over someone basically to interview and figure out what is it about Brother Lawrence that's different. So he sends them over to interview him. Brother Lawrence says, I'm really not interested in that. Um, so, but they press forward. It's interesting because basically what happens is Brother Lawrence, and it's recorded in this book, he didn't write this book. But this is the, the, um, basically the, the scribe or the, the errand boy who the cardinal sent um, to talk to Brother Lawrence, wrote this down, and this is kind of the report given to the cardinal. Um, it says, Brother Lawrence kind of says, as long as this is not going to um, kind of be publicized for people, then I'm okay with telling you what's going on. Now, what you know, here we are. Talking about it, but what, what that indicates for me about his heart is that he's humble. He doesn't want, it's not like, look at my life. Let me write a book about the things I'm doing. That's not what he was about. This, they had to press him to know, and I'm glad that they did. What was his secret? What was the key to this man's life that had caused so much attention, so many people to notice? He had done two. two Major things. The first thing he did is he made it a point to do everything that he did out of a love for God. Literally. This was his quote. It says, we can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is in the frying pan for love of him. 
And then that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Love that quote. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Literally, as he flips over a cake in the pan, he does it out of motivation of love for God. That's the first thing he did. Everything he did, he made it a point to do it out of the love for God. The second thing is he made it his goal to be mindful of God all the time. And not just kind of aware that God exists, but he wanted to converse with God all day long. He wanted, his goal was to make his times of prayer exactly the same as the rest of his day. He didn't want to have these man-made, I have to pray at this time, to recall him to God's presence. He wanted to be in God's presence all day long. And so here's an extended quote. It's the one that's in your, printed on your um, outline. And I want to read it for us. I worshipped him as oftenest as I could, keeping my, my mind in his holy presence and recalling it as often as I found it wandered from him. I found no small pain in this exercise, and yet I continued it notwithstanding all the difficulties that occurred without troubling or disquieting myself when my mind had wandered involuntarily. I made this my business as much all the day long as the appointed times of prayer. For at all times, every hour, every minute, even in the height of my business, I drove away from my mind everything that was capable of interrupting my thought of God. And then this is a, there's a break and there's more written and then the second paragraph comes later. He says, such was my beginning. And yet I must tell you that for the first ten years I suffered much. The apprehension that I was not devoted to God as I wished to be, my past sins were always present in my mind and the great unmerited favors which God did for me were the matter and source of my sufferings. Now I ask myself, am I really going to present and ask you all to do this? I battled with that question this week. Am I going to tell you that's what God wants you to do? Am I going to throw that out and say that's the challenge? I struggled with that because honestly, like you, I struggle with even being close to where Brother Lawrence is. And I'm not going to tell you to be Brother Lawrence because I don't think that's what you are called to do, But I am going to challenge you today to do one thing. I feel like I, I hope in challenging you to do one thing. You'll realistically grab onto it. And so here's my question. Will you, like Brother Lawrence, work toward a constant awareness of God? Will you work toward a constant conversation with God? Will you make it a goal of yours to do this? If you say yes, I'll make a promise in return. I will promise to you that if you will work to be more mindful of God's presence in your life, I promise you will grow spiritually. Now, I get asked that question all the time. Tommy, how do I grow spiritually? I want to grow spiritually. It's a question I ask all the time. Here's one of your answers. I promise if you will work this week to be more mindful of God's presence as you come next week, you will have grown spiritually. I guarantee it. 
Now I want to give you one last illustration and then I'm going to close. My daughter's name is Hannah. She's two years old. That's a lot of fun. Um, I'm learning about all of the fun things that come with the two-year-old. But she learns and she grows and we can literally see that take place if you've ever watched the growth of a young child. She becomes confident in certain things. And when I'm around her or my wife is around her, she flourishes. We can teach her about letters and we can teach her songs and we can teach her that um, toys go in this place and that um, we can't do certain things and we have to do other things. And when I'm around her and instructing her and teaching her, she flourishes. Now the crazy thing, when I leave the room, she does the things that I don't want her to do. We know that if it's quiet for like 10 seconds or more, she's probably doing something bad. And so this is the way she is obsessed with changing her baby's diapers, baby doll's diapers. I guess she watches do that with um, Elijah. And so she loves to kind of mimic that behavior. Well, if, you, if you've ever bought baby wipes, they're really expensive. And she loves to just pull every single one out of the thing. And then, so like instead of using one baby wipe for the baby, there's like a stack of them this thick, like laying on top of the baby doll. And I know when it's quiet that she's doing that, and I come in, and my presence back in the room, and I say, Hannah, no, that's not correct. And she throws herself on the floor. I'm so sorry, Dad. I don't know how to deal with my disappointment. I don't want to make you mad. I wish she said those things. (laughs) But she doesn't. But what I know from psychology is that she's dealing with that disappointment of disappointing her dad. And that really that's more why she's crying than just being caught. She wants to please us. And now if you're smart, you already know where I'm going. You do. Because when we're in God's presence, we flourish. He directs us and He leads us to the things that we need to be involved in. We grow and we blossom in our spiritual life, and in life, and we live it to the full, and when we leave God's presence, when we kind of ignore the fact that He might be with us, we start to do things that are just totally not right. We get so worked up, kind of pulling things up, out, over and over and over and over, and then we see God's presence again, and we're like, oh, no, I disappointed you again. When we're in God's presence, we flourish. Just like my daughter does. I just want to ask you that if we know and realize that it is God who empowers us, and it is God who leads us to a full life, and it is being aware of Him and being in His presence, and we know that He doesn't leave us, that we can't hide from Him. You know, we're talking about Jonah in our youth ministry, and we said that it's funny how Jonah ran away from God like he was playing hide-and-go-seek. And he tried to get away from God. And I said, have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with a toddler? Play with my daughter. It's fun. She goes like and hides like this. And she's like... <laughs> and you're like wondering around, where's Hannah? You, if you've ever played, you, have, you know how that goes. You have to pretend like you don't see them. You know we do that to God a lot. We try and run and hide and we pretend like He's not there. We go home and we pretend like His presence is just here. How foolish. We're like a toddler who thinks they're hiding and hiding those seek like this. Where's, where's Tommy at? God's not doing that. And God didn't do it for Jonah. God went and just sought him out. 
And God's doing that for you. And the question is whether your sign this week, whether when you walk around is going to look like this or look like this. Every moment of your life, one of these will be up. Which one will it be for you? That's the question. Which one? I promise you, you will grow. Now, for the sake of time, I can't give you this morning a whole bunch of personal application. I can't say this is how it works in your life because I'm already running out of time. I think I've gone past. Um, But I want to tell you that if you're not already involved in a growth group, if you're not already involved in in a place where we're taking the other side of this handout and working it out together, that this would be awesome for you to do that because it's going to get deep into um, some personal application. It's going to give you a link where you can read this book online for free. It's a public domain book. That's how old it is. Um, But it's a public domain book. And it's one of those places where you can read it. You can download the audio of it for free. It's going to have a link to that. I just know that as we take this and put it into personal application. See, I can't leave at this point and expect that you guys are just going to know what to do. You need to drive this home and how it's going to apply to your life. But I want to tell you as I close that there's, a, there's a, an application point that I just can't leave out there. And that's this. If you've never accepted Jesus to kind of come and be your Lord and live inside of your heart, then I can't tell you that same promise. Because you're shouting out and you're saying, no, no thank you to your presence. You know, when we say no thank you to the presence of God, then this whole sermon is kind of not even applicable. And so maybe for you today, you're ready to make the first time a declaration of faith in Jesus. To say, I'm ready to stop saying no, because I realize how futile that is. I'm tired of playing hide-and-go-seek when I know that you see me. I'm ready to say, Lord, lead me to a full and a flourishing life. Maybe you want to say that. We're going to sing a song together, and I would just invite you to come forward. We're also going to sing the same song to prepare us and think toward communion toward the sacrifice that Jesus made. The sacrifice where He came and He said, instead of looking at your failures, I want to look at holiness and righteousness. And so I'm going to trade out my life for your life so that you can be forgiven. So as we stand and sing this song together, I want to invite you. Do you want to come accept Christ? Please do. But also,